1: I literally just put up a story on Instagram asking you guys what I should say at the intro of every podcast episode because I never know what to say. I always want to say welcome, welcome, welcome because I listen to Armchair Expert and that's what Dax says. But I can't say that because that's Dax's thing. So what should I say? Like, hello there, mom friends. No, that's dumb. Hello, mommies. No, oh my god, stop. Okay, this is why I need your help. So If I choose your idea, I am going to send you a t-shirt. So we will see what people say. Maybe on Instagram, I will like, you know, read out some of the options that people are sending just to see how it sounds. Like, hey, roomies. Oh my god. I don't know. It just sounds so like I'm not good at being fake. Not even that it's fake. I'm just not good at that. I don't know. Anywho, welcome to Tuesday's episode. It's a doozy. It's a good one. I feel like I ranted a lot. Like I must have felt like talking this day a lot. Not that like, I feel like talking most days, but this day especially because I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. I am talking with Dr. Kara Goodwin on Instagram. She is at parenting translator. Is it the parenting translator? Anyways it's a great conversation. We touch mostly on gentle parenting. And then also, we talk a lot about timeouts, because there's lots of things, especially on social media lately, that are very like pushing gentle parenting, but not necessarily gentle parenting in a way that is research based or actually effective. So because she deals with all the research, that's what she does. So she just kind of tells it like it is, you know, what does the research actually say? What is, you know, obviously there's parts of gentle parenting that are very effective and that are great and should be implemented. But then there's also things like, you know, a lot of people, I was going to say shun the timeout. Is that even a proper thing to say? Can you shun a timeout? I think you shun let me look up what shun means one second okay so shun means to persistently avoid ignore or reject someone or something through antipathy i don't even know what that means or caution okay so you probably can shun a timeout because the example they give is he shunned fashionable society so we can shun timeouts so anywho We get into the topic of timeouts. I also bring up the idea of like having a calming corner instead of, because I think what it is, is like the idea of a timeout. And I give the example of when I give Milo a quote unquote like timeout. I don't necessarily call it that, but like when he's having a meltdown and hitting us and we're in danger, and so is he, I will put him in his room, and then I will go in after a few minutes and, like, help him regulate his emotions. So, yeah, I think it's, like, the word timeout that people dislike. But if you call it like a calming corner or a this or a that, then it's more like well received. So we get into that the differences, how she implements a timeout in her house. So yeah, it's just like an honest conversation about these topics that you know, her whole thing is There's all this information online pushing gentle parenting, which can be extremely difficult. It's not necessarily effective. And she just feels bad for parents who, you know, implement things like timeout or, you know, aren't practicing gentle parenting perfectly every single day, which like who is? I'm definitely not. So her goal is just to ease parent shame, which is great. I'm all about that. And to be honest, I hate any kind of label because I think it just limits you, it like pigeonholes you, and then it sets you up for, not failure, but it sets you up to be disappointed in yourself and kind of let down because you have this expectation that like, I am a gentle parent, like that is what I am, and if I... Differ from that, then I'm a bad parent. And it's like, no, like we shouldn't be labeling ourselves. I hate labels on anything. And I think I get into that in this episode. So, Renee, why don't you just get to the episode? So, without further ado, guys, please enjoy this episode with Dr. Kara Goodwin and welcome her to the Mom Room podcast. Today I'm speaking with Kara Goodwin. You are at Parenting Translator on Instagram. So To start, I wanted to kind of ask a little bit about your academic journey, and then also you are a mom of three, so what that was like as well. Because you're a child psychologist, right? Because I had Milo, I think, like I was almost done my PhD. So what was your timeline of your academic career and then also having children?
0: So I went and got two masters and then a PhD, so I was kind of in school for a very, very yeah. long time. Um, I love school. Um, I couldn't get enough. So to get a clinical psych degree in the U.S., you need to do a year-long internship after your PhD is over. So it was during my internship year, which is actually a very intense year, that I decided to get pregnant, which a lot of people thought was like kind of crazy. Um, but so I had my first during my—actually, uh, you know, I went into labor the day. Day she was born a month early, so I went into labor the my last the day after my last day of my internship, and I thought I had like a full month like to prepare, and it was because I was so busy with internship that I went into labor like the very next day. I think it was maybe because I finally relaxed. I don't know. Yeah, um, isn't that but, funny? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I like became a doctor and a mom, you know, At within the same a, time within a day, and then. I had my second two years later and then my third two years later. But it's really, it's interesting, you know, being a child psychologist and a parent and like the timing of that, because, you know, I was, you know, during my PhD was working with a lot of parents and was giving a lot of parenting advice. And, you know, I'm not, you don't need to be a parent to give parenting advice, but I think now I do have a different perspective and it's interesting kind of thinking
1: back on it,
0: you know, the, the timing of all of that.
1: So one of my good friends is a behavior analyst. So she would go into schools and like work with school boards to help with, children that had like special needs. And so she also would give and still does give a lot of parenting advice. Like even to me, like I go to her for questions and she's always like, I know what like my clinical brain is going to tell you, but I also, now that I'm a mom and I have a toddler, I know how difficult it is to implement certain things and how nuanced every single situation can be. And so she's like, she's like, there's like the parenting brain and then also like the clinical brain.
0: (laughs) Yes. I definitely experience that now. You know, I feel like I, I kind of can say like what we know from like these evidence-based interventions, but I'm also like, but in reality, like this is what I would suggest too.
1: When did your Instagram account start? So you became a mom as soon as you finished your training and then so did you ever work like in private practice did you work for another you know company like what did that look like So I was working at a big academic
0: medical center as a psychologist at Duke in North Carolina, and I, you know, I really loved it. But I think after becoming a mom, you know, my perspective kind of changed because I was, you know, I was so aware of all this research that was out there. And, you know, I would talk to my other mom friends and they, you know, who were all, you know, pretty educated people and they wouldn't know about this research. Like, and I was just shocked because, you know, from all of my time doing this research um, in my PhD program and afterwards, I, you know, there's so much money and time and effort that goes into this research. And then it's not reaching the people that really need it. So I was just kind of like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> why, are, why are we all doing all this research? And like, parents don't even know about it. So I had the idea, you know, during the pandemic when, you know i wasn't bored bored cuz i had little kids but like i was intellectually like yes. extremely bored so i decided to start this account and i just asked my friends to follow me you know and i would just take the research that I thought was interesting and write up summaries. And I started getting like a lot of positive feedback, like, you know, this is really helpful. I didn't know about this. And so I decided to just keep growing it. And now I've applied for nonprofit status and I really want, because I think it's really important that all parents have access to these resources for free and, I also think it's important that I stay unbiased in this, in reporting the research too, which, you know, as a for-profit business, is just hard to do. So yeah, so I'm hoping to grow this and reach as many parents as I can and just, you know, try to get all the research that we, that is out there on child development and parenting into the hands of parents to make your everyday decisions like a little bit easier.
1: I love that. One of the things I noticed early on after having Milo is like, like you were saying, we don't have access to the research. Like as soon as I graduated from my PhD, it's like, you're cut off. Like yeah. if I want to, if I want to look up research, cause while I was still like, while I had access to, if people are listening and you're like, what is she talking about? Like when I was in grad school, And I guess if you have like an academic position out of a hospital or whatever, you're granted access to like PubMed and all these different, I don't even know, like online journal platforms. And this is where academic people publish their research. So we will spend literally years on a research study. It goes through a peer review process. It's grueling. It's brutal. Finally, it gets accepted to a journal And it's published on these platforms, but only specific people have access to these platforms. And it's usually people that are tied to a university, like a research center, because it's a lot of money to have access to these journals. So as soon as I graduated, I didn't have access anymore. I'm like, frig, I get so irritated. And I remember... Sometimes I would want to look up certain things and my friend had access, she was like aligned with a medical school or something. And I'd be like, can you, I would Google different like research topics and send her the citations for the research articles. And I was like, can you get me these research like articles so I can read them? And it's so silly. And then the only thing that you hear about as a parent are these research studies that are basically clickbait that, you know, places like the Today Show or whatever on TV, or even if you're scrolling on Google, they're going to push these different research studies that are just basically clickbait without giving you the full information of the study and like the limitations of the study and how it can't be generalized to everybody. It's like, Once you go through academic training, you realize how important it is to understand the research studies. And that's what frustrated me. It was like, you know, Milo's just starting to eat solids. And on the Today Show, it's like, don't give your baby any rice products. There's arsenic in the rice. And I'm like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm looking through the cupboard and like everything Milo has is rice based. And then I go and I dive deeper into the research and I'm like, Oh my God, like why? Like so that I appreciate people who get into the research and then explain it all for us and actually break it down. Like what's important, what's not important. So I love what you're doing because it is so needed and it's not fair that we don't have access to the research.
0: Yeah. It drives me crazy that this research is behind a paywall for most people. And it's, it's very expensive to get access. Like it's, it's not something that the average parent is going to do. And then even if you do get access to the article, it's like, You need you need academic train, like years of academic training to like get through all the jargon and the statistics and like it's a huge issue that there's you know all this research out there and the only people that are really translating it, like you said, are the news media who are, you know, misconstruing it. Like there was an article recently saying, you know, that we've discovered the cause of SIDS and in the article, they said, now that we know the cause, you don't need to put your child to bed on their back, like make sure things. And I was like, what? No, (laughs) like that's not true. Like, so there was one research study that found a link between a certain enzyme and SIDS that does not show the cause. You still need to follow safe sleep guidelines. Like, like the, the harm that can be done by like misconstruing the research in that way is, Is terrifying.
1: Yeah. And it's because they know if they put out this statement, they're going to get like millions and millions of clicks, which, you know, translate to dollars for them. And here's a kicker before we move on to, we're going to first talk about gentle parenting. As you were saying, like the research is behind a paywall, it's very expensive to have access to this research. Now, as somebody who has published research and gone through that literal hell on earth, we get nothing. Okay. We get nothing. And (laughs) I remember thinking like, I have spent years of my life, like putting out this very important, like major meta-analyses on like psychotherapy for eating disorders, like treatment guidelines, all this stuff. Work so hard to get it published and you get nothing. I get to put one sentence on my CV that says (laughs) I published this paper and that's it. And I was like, there is a problem here. Like, Obviously, there's a problem. Huge problem. And then, you know, you can go and write a best selling book and make a ton of money. And it's like something is off. So that's my rant about academia. So. I should do a whole podcast episode on academia. But oh, anyhow. it's it's a crazy, crazy world. That's, <laughs> it's like a, business. The, that's a tip of the iceberg, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah. anywho, moving on. So the first thing we're going to talk about is gentle parenting. So you had mentioned it's such a hot topic right now on TikTok or Instagram. You always hear about gentle parenting and different practices. And so you were saying how... If you look actually at the research, the strict gentle parenting that seems to be like shoved in our faces on social media is not necessarily backed by research. So can you talk a little bit about that and then also how things like timeouts or giving rewards have been demonized, really? So can you talk a little bit about that? I think this is like the really interesting thing
0: about being like an academic and a psychologist who then enters the mom world because you know, I was just when I got on social media and started following some of these big mom accounts or parent accounts, I should say, I was shocked by kind of what is out there and how it isn't isn't aligned with the research at all. So gentle parenting is a relatively new movement. Some people think it may have started with Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson, who wrote The Whole Brain Child, wrote an article against timeout in Time Magazine in 2014, I think. And what's really interesting is that started this whole movement, but then the authors actually later retracted that statement and clarified to say they're only opposed to timeout when it's used improperly. And they're actually pro-timeout when it's used in an evidence-based way, which is, you know, it's been researched for decades. But but anyway, so gentle parenting is this new idea, but there actually isn't any research on this particular brand of parenting. And that's not to say that it doesn't work. So when we don't have research, we don't know whether it works or whether it doesn't work. And when I get worried is when people are, you know, pushing it as opposed to, the strategies that we know do work so we do there there are decades and decades of research looking at different sorts of parenting programs and there are parenting programs that 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 we know are effective and you know i worry that when parents are following this gentle parenting you know movement what they're seeing on instagram what they're seeing on TikTok, and it's not working then they feel like they don't have anything you know, and it's like, well, we do have some tools, you know, that we, we do know work. So, you know, if gentle parenting works for you, that's amazing and like keep doing it. But I just don't want parents to feel shame or feel like they don't have options when like, you know, we do know, you know, the, the, the parenting programs that we that. through the research have we found work are a combination of this like warmth and nurturing and supporting the parent-child relationship plus using consequences and firm discipline when you need to and that's not spanking that's not shaming your child you know that's just using logical consequences that make sense with the behavior and time out if if that's what you feel is right for your family
1: Simplify your kid's mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. I hate, oh my God, every time you go against, or like, I get this all the time. I'll say something about gentle parenting or whatever, and people are like, it's not okay to abuse your child. I'm like, whoa, like, I didn't say that. Like parenting is very like binary, like you're either all of this or you're all of this. There's no in between. And people love, as soon as you question one thing about one side, it's like, oh, well, they must be abusing their children. And it's like, no, that's not what we're saying. With regard to the timeout thing, because I had, I think I have a whole episode on timeouts and I remember... Milo, like every once in a while, he would have this meltdown when he was a little bit younger and he would be like hitting and kicking. And like, there was no getting through to him in that moment. It was like, he was just so elevated. And I remember a few times I would bring him up to his room and close the door and just like, wait a little bit. And like inside, I felt so shitty about myself because Of what you were saying. Like, obviously I like had in my mind, like timeouts are not okay. Like you shouldn't be doing this. But when I would try and do what was suggested, like, you know, oh, like try like naming his emotions and like, oh, I know you're upset right now, blah, blah, blah. He's like swinging at my face. So you can say you have to do this, but it's not going to work in every situation. And that is what, Drove me crazy when I see certain parenting accounts on Instagram and, you know, them saying, like, this is how you handle this. And it's like, no, this is how you can handle this in some situations, but sometimes it's not going to work. And I remember asking my friend about that. And she was like, you know what? If he's being violent, Like you don't want him to hurt himself and you also don't want him to think it's okay to hit you. And sometimes you need to like remove yourself from the situation. So can you give an example of when and how to properly implement a timeout? Like when is it a good idea?
0: Yeah, I mean, I know for me personally, you know, I should say I have three very spirited young children. They're spirited. two, four. Yeah, they're spirited. <laughs> and it's it's a gift and it's Difficult at times. So they're two, four, and six. So I deal with a lot of behaviors. <laughs> um, and you know, for me personally, how I do timeout in my house is, you know, sibling aggression is a trigger for me. Like it doesn't matter if it was my other kid that did it. When I see somebody hurt one of my kids, like, you know, my mama bear instincts kind of go off and and I can't be calm. So sibling aggression is the one rule in our house that that is a timeout and they know about it. We've talked about it. And, you know, when it happens, I, you know, calm, as calmly as I can ask them to go to timeout and, and it's very short, you know, it's like it, they suggest one minute per your child's age. So, you know, for my two-year-old, he's like barely there, but it, it doesn't matter the length. It, it, it's not really as much about the punishment as it is about you. First of all, giving everybody a chance to calm down, and and second of all, experiencing you know consequences for your behavior, and like consequences have become like this bad word, like oh you don't use consequences, but like they're getting consequences whether you do anything or not. So if you come over and you're you're validating their emotions after they've just hit their brother, they're getting the positive consequence of your attention, which you know, a lot of times what happens, because we're all so busy, it's like you don't give your kids attention until, you know, when they're playing quietly, you're like, oh, I'm going to use this chance to get something done. And then, you know, they hit their brother and you run over and they get all this attention. And it's kind of like, well, you're you're giving them a positive consequence, whether you mean to or not. And, you know, putting them in time out just it takes away your attention, which is the most powerful motivator for them. And it also, you know, takes them away from their toys. And, and, and the truth is, you know, if, if you hit another person as an adult, like you're going to have consequences too, you know, there are consequences, you know, if you are speeding, you know, you're breaking your rule as an adult, like there, there are they're often consequences, not always, but, you know, but, so it's like th- there are consequences in the world, whether or not we as the parent are doing anything about it or not.
1: I remember someone saying or reading about you want the consequence to kind of match the situation. And so like you're saying with aggression or hitting whatever, I think removing them from that situation is like that makes sense. Like I'm going to move you to a place where you are now unable to continue harming someone. And I also like, I think the word timeout is like a trigger now for people. Yeah, And it it just has this bad, you know, like stigma around it. It's like, oh, not timeout. And I know Mr. Chaz, he calls it Something else. Like he recommends that people actually make like a calming corner. And so instead of being like, you're going to time out, like you're going to calm down. And I kind of liked that idea as well. And I think more people would be on board with it if it was called something like that as opposed to time out, just because time out has, as you said, gotten a bad rap.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I have in the past had like a calm down station for my kids when they've needed it with like, you know, stress balls there and, you know, books that they can flip through if that helps them calm down. You, you want to be a little bit careful about that because if you're, they're going to calm down. Like a fun corner That has like a lot of fun toys. Yeah. Like, but I think like having, seeing it as a chance for all of us to calm down. And I think, you know, for me, like in my example, like I can't be calm when they've just hit their baby brother. Like, I can't. And I need a minute to, like, use my coping strategies and calm down. And that's okay. Like, you can't always be calm as a parent. Sometimes you need, and I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to, like, emotionally validate your toddler's every feeling, but it's like, you would be exhausted by the end of the day. And if you need that moment as a parent, like, that's okay.
1: Usually we have our biggest issues at nighttime which is like the worst time for me because in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is my alone time. Like finally, like I'm gonna chill with my husband and then, you know, shit hits the fan. And oftentimes there will be a struggle, like power struggle in Milo's bedroom. He's, you know, losing his mind. And if I am unable to stay calm, which sometimes I'm super calm and it's not an issue, I have to leave the room. Like I have to just like leave the room, close the door. And, you know, on paper, maybe people would be like, oh my God, her child's upset and she's just gonna leave the room. And it's like, no, but I'm a human too. And I need to go calm down or sub in my husband because I am overstimulated and I can't handle it in the way that I want to handle it. So I'm either gonna yell I'm going to like do something that I don't want to do, like react badly, or I can just leave calmly and collect myself. Yeah. And
0: you're not doing him any favors if you're not calm, you know, if you're worked up, it's just going to make
1: him more worked up. Totally. Yeah. Let's talk about children and I'm putting air quotes here. Children having bad behavior. And how, I've talked about this before, how I feel like some parents think the goal is to not have, air quotes, bad behavior. But, as you were saying, it's developmentally appropriate for children to have certain behaviors and react a certain way. So, can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I feel I feel like I
0: get this sense on social media that it's like, and I've actually seen it verbalized, it's any, you know, tantrums or quote unquote bad behavior you see from your kids is your fault as the parent because- Like a
1: reflection on the yeah, parent. Yeah, it's a
0: reflection of the parent-child relationship. And if you worked harder on the attachment, if you spent more special time with your child, you would not see that. If you followed this exact gentle parenting script, all tantrums would end. And I think that comes from a place of, people trying to sell a product of a, like, you know, the reason you're still experiencing tantrum is is your fault. But if you take my course, you know, it's all going to go away. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, and that just makes parents feel terrible. And the truth is, you know, toddlers, preschoolers, even, you know, elementary school kids have, you know, meltdowns, have tantrums, and it's so normal. They just don't have the abilities to emotionally regulate and it isn't our fault as parents, you know? It's not something that we should feel guilty about. Even if you were a perfect parent, it would still happen. And if you were a perfect parent, then then they would feel so much pressure because they can't be that perfect, you know? It's like, it's not possible. And there's like this unrealistic standard that just makes parents feel terrible.
1: Yeah. And I also think in the moment, like in the moment of a difficult situation, like a meltdown or something... Oftentimes, I think the parent's goal is to like, how can I stop this as soon as possible? And like, I have kind of reframed how I look at him having big emotions and having a difficult time. And it's like, I need to just help him through this. That might be leaving him alone for a few minutes. Because sometimes if I get involved, it just escalates things. So many times I will literally just like sit on his floor and not even looking at him and just like, I'm here. And when you're ready, like you can come over and you know, I stay super calm, but like internally, my cortisol is like through the roof, (laughs) but I'm like, I need to just sit here and be calm. And he just has to work his way through it. And you're kind of helping them as opposed to like, oh my God, like, how can I get this to stop right away? Like I notice my husband's reaction is often like to try and get Milo to laugh and like sometimes that's okay but I told him like I don't like that he has this big emotion and you're just trying to like shut it down you know it's like it's gonna happen and we need to just be there for him.
0: Yeah and I think it's important to keep in mind that our goal is to help kids to be independent in regulating their emotions. Cause like, they're not going to be, you know, 18, 19 and, and where they're like validating their emotions, you know, <laughs> it's like the, the goal is for us to, you know, slowly and gently kind of take a step back as they get older and older, you know, and, and if we are there every single moment, validating every single feeling, like, is that even serving them? Like I would argue not.
1: I know it's hard and it's also modeling, like you were saying. Like if I can't remain calm in this situation, like it's better for me to just <laughs> calmly walk away for a few minutes than it is to not be calm cuz they're also going to learn from you. Yeah, I think, you know, taking the time to walk away
0: and calm yourself down is like a great lesson for them. And modeling is more important than than anything else we do. So yeah, that's a great point.
1: Can you speak a little bit about, you had mentioned kids who, like you were saying, like the goal, like sometimes like what you see online is for your kids to be obedient, but how it could actually be a problem if they're not having big emotions or what would be considered developmentally appropriate. I think the
0: gentle parenting also takes the approach that you know, if your kid is obedient, that they are shoving down their feelings. So sometimes you see, like, we want our kids to be, you know, not ever having tantrums is the goal. And then the other goal you see is, like, it, I've read online, you know, well, if your kid's not having tantrums, that just means they're shoving down their feelings, which isn't always true either. So I think it's just, you know, having realistic standards of there's still gonna be tantrums, you know, I'm gonna try my best. Like you said, you know, sometimes distraction is the right move, and sometimes it's good for them to just feel their feelings. And, you know, I think something commonly that I see parents doing is turning on a show if they're having, you know, a meltdown. And there is research linking that with, you know, difficulty with emotional regulation, which I think makes sense. And I totally get as a parent myself how tempting it is to turn on a show. And I have done it when really needed. But, but you know, I think it is important for them to feel those feelings and and for us to give them a chance to, you know, as developmentally appropriate, work through it on the, their own.
1: It's also context. Like, if we're in a restaurant and he's going to have a meltdown, I will put on a show. It's like you also have to give yourself grace as a parent. If you're on, you know, a five-hour flight and he's starting, like, yeah, I, I will give him a chocolate yes, bar. Yes,
0: yes. <laughs> just do do a survival mode. Yeah. It's
1: like, as I was saying before, like, people are always like, are you vegan? Are you this? Like, I hate labeling things. And I think as parents, as soon as you're like, I practice gentle parenting. It's like you're pigeonholing yourself so that, you know, in the event that you do need to use a strategy that is not considered gentle parenting, now you're going to feel like shit about yourself and you're going to feel shame because you have labeled yourself and you have created this identity of yourself as a parent that you're a gentle parent. So I hate labels across the board. So just be a parent. Yeah. I I always say that I feel like these parenting schools
0: if that's what you want to call them have become like religions. It's like you have to choose one. And when you have a baby, you got to do your research and decide am I a gentle parent? Am I an attachment parent? You know. And you know, I know for me personally like I I'm really into the research, so I take a lot from the research, but I take a little bit from gentle parenting. I take a little bit from attachment parenting, take a little bit from like old school parenting for lack of a better word. You know, it's like, you don't have to subscribe to one of these like religions, you know, it, it, it's flexible and it's what works for you and your kid and your family. And it, it, there's no one type of parenting that's going to match what's right for you and your kid and your whole family exactly.
1: Yeah, for every single situation. Like at the end of the day, I'm going to do what feels right for me in that moment. And like, it's good to be educated and to you know, read about different approaches and different strategies because like that has been life-changing for me, just like learning different strategies. And then like when he was really young, it was something that was so amazing was the giving the options you know like snack time okay do you want a banana or do you want a yogurt and it was like now he's in control and he's going to choose something and eat it whereas before it was like you offer him something and it's like he throws it on the floor he doesn't want it and I'm like oh my god and but as soon as I would give him an option like it made the day go so much smoother like we're going to get dressed do you want to wear the dinosaur underwear or you want to wear these underwears like So I don't think you're saying to not follow parenting accounts and, you know, pick up different strategies, but it's like, at the end of the day, you're going to have to do what works best for you and don't label yourself as something.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of good things that have come from the gentle parenting movement. I think, you know, the idea that figuring out what's the cause of your child's tantrum. Like, that's really important. You know, if, you know, they're sensory overstimulation, for example, like, you know, maybe that's what's going on. Maybe it's, you know, that they don't have the communication tools. So figuring out the cause and like helping them to, you know, learn skills that prevent it. Like, That's a great thing. Emotional validation at the right time, which isn't the moment of the height of a tantrum. That's really important. You know, that's great to talk to your kids about emotions. There's so many good aspects of the gentle parenting. I just think it's important for parents to know that it isn't the only approach and that it's okay if you want to use other tools.
1: I heard this quote, and obviously I didn't write it down, so I don't know actually what it said, but... It made so much sense and it was something about like to just be an okay parent, like your child will still thrive. Like I think there's so much pressure to be the absolute best and obviously like we take this as it's the most important job that we're ever going to have and it's like we're raising a whole other human. Like it's a lot of pressure and with like information overload, it just adds more and more pressure. Like my mom always says, She like sees all my content, obviously. And if I talk about mom guilt and certain things, she's like, oh my God, like she had three young kids. My dad worked out of the country when we were young and like she did everything on her own. And she's like, I don't remember having this like stress or this like guilt about like, oh my God, I just gave them like fruit snacks or, you know, like there was no even like questioning your own parenting style. She's like, we just did what we did and that was
0: it. I think that's so true. My mom says the same thing to me. She's like, your generation is crazy. Um, And I'm like, yeah, great. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's so true. It's like... There's been become so much pressure. And and you know, I get it. I'm like very type A myself. And and I'm a child psychologist. And before I had kids, I was like, I'm gonna be a perfect parent. I like know everything. Like, (laughs) of course. And then, you know, literally like a week in, I'm like, wow, this is way different than I thought it was gonna be. And I think something that I remember that helps me is that even if you could be perfect, which is impossible that you would be setting an unrealistic standard for your child that they could never achieve. You know, they need to see us mess up. It's important for them to see, you know, I always make a huge point of pointing out to my kids whenever I make mistakes because, you know, it's so important for them to know, like, even grownups make mistakes and, like, this is how I try to, like, fix it when I do. So I I think it's, like, it's so important to remember that, like, we can't be perfect and it and it, even if you could, like, that's not good for your child either.
1: My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. Which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L O L A V I E. That kind of speaks to the apologizing. To your child. Like, I think, you know, a few generations ago, that would be unheard of. Unheard of, yeah. (laughs) Yes, so true. (laughs) Like, to apologize to a child? Yeah. Like, no way. But, you know, it shows them that you're human and you're modeling how to handle these situations so that, you know, when they're older and they've hurt someone's feelings or, you know, did something, they will now know to apologize and it builds empathy and you know, all that stuff. So yeah, being perfect is guys, it's overrated. Okay. Let's talk about the importance of the whole thing about everyone's an expert. And I really resonated with this because obviously I talk a lot about parenting stuff, mostly like mom. It's almost like things that I go through, I like to talk about those things. Like, you know, sleep struggles with Milo, how it affects me, like my marriage, like everything. Just becoming a mom has just, like, there's so much that I was not expecting. And so, yeah, I like to talk about all these things. But so often people will ask me specific questions as if I'm like, you know, a, a sleep expert or like an expert on this. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can't help you, but I can tell you what I did. And so I think where people run into Trouble is when they are not experts in a certain area of parenting, they are literally just experts on their own experience, but then they offer advice as if they are experts in general. So who should people really be going to for advice on specific things?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. You know, I think social media is interesting because it it used to be you needed a degree or at least some training to give, to give parenting advice and tell other parents like what they should do. And I don't think, I don't think you need a degree or training to be able to give good parenting advice. You know, there are probably like my mother-in-law, for example, had five kids and it's like, she could give me some great parenting advice. And she has, but you know, and she doesn't have a degree, but, or she doesn't have a degree that's relevant. So I don't think you need a degree, but I think it's important to be careful when people are saying, this is the only way to do it. This is, this is like, you know, do this or you're, you are harming your child. Yeah. That's what makes me concerned because, you know, I, I like to put the research out there and I'm like, this is what the research says. But I all, always, you know, tell parents, I'm like, this is what the research says, but that doesn't mean that's what works for you. The research shows us what works for the average child, you know? And and I think when people are out there just giving their opinion, that shows what works maybe for their kids, but like, it, that's not even showing what works for the average child. So I think it's just important to take it all with a grain of salt and be like, you know, even if it is, this is what the research says, if that doesn't work for you personally or your family or your child, then don't do it. You know, just to be wary when people make these like absolutes of like, this is how you do it, or this is what you do, or your child is ruined. You know, I think that's what's really concerning to me.
1: Also, like as soon as somebody has a platform I think it gives the illusion that there's credibility behind what they're saying. And that's not always the case. Yeah. And Unfortunately, I think it's like, so in some cases, it's like the opposite
0: because it's people who are saying, you know, these really shocking things yes. that end up getting a lot of followers and, you know, people who are just being like, you know, it's really complicated and, you know, do what works best for you. It's like, that's not very exciting. Nobody wants to listen to that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think it's just like important to be careful. You know, if somebody says research shows that yelling at your child is child abuse and here, take my anti-yelling course. It's like, you're going to feel terrible because all of us have yelled at, I mean, nearly all of us, I should say. I know I have yelled at our kids and, and you're like, that's, Research shows that's equivalent to child abuse, and it's like, huh. and of course, you know, there's no research study showing that. It's just extrapolation from an un- an unrelated study. So yeah, just be careful about people that are are putting absolutes or or think when when an account makes you feel bad, and makes you feel shame. I you know do not hesitate to hit unfollow if it's making you feel shameful. If it's giving you some good tips and like that's great, but if it's if it's making you feel bad about the way you're parenting, then like maybe maybe that's not a great influence in your life.
1: And that goes for people in your actual life as well. True. Yeah, true. Yeah. Like you can have friends who have kids as well and they might parent completely differently than you do. And I think that affects people because I think it must be difficult because obviously a lot of people talk about parenting and talk about their kids. And I think a lot of people have friends who, let's say you have a friend that is like hardcore, like gentle parenting is the only way. And you can never like veer from those strategies, but then you're not that way. Like that would be difficult to handle. And I think that actually happens in real life. But I always say like You need to be confident in what you're doing. And I think that is one of like the major issues, like when it comes to like mom guilt and feeling bad about like your parenting choices, like, no, like you need to be confident in what you're doing. And if your friend does something else, like that's okay. Like let them do them and you do you and, but do not let someone make you feel bad for your choices. I think for some reason it's easier, you know, if you have
0: like somebody in real life who's like, oh yeah, timeout isn't good for kids to be like, whatever, you know? And then if you have somebody who's calling themselves like a parenting expert and, you know, which anybody can call themselves a parenting expert and they have, you know, millions of followers and they're telling you that time out is going to harm your child. It's like, that seems like a lot more serious um, then there's this one person who can be like, oh, they don't really know. you know. I just feel like there's people who act like they're backed by research and you know, they're talking about the brain and it sounds very official. And you know, it's it's hard, you know, I I know you mentioned this, but like I felt like shame sometimes from these influences. and I'm like, I know, I know from, like, I've read the research. I know this isn't, I shouldn't feel shame, and yet I still do. It's, like, so easy as a parent to be, like, you know, anybody suggests that what you're doing might harm your child. Of course you're going to feel, like, terrible about yourself.
1: And I have, when it comes to sleep training, and it's funny because I didn't sleep train Milo until he was, like, 11 months old, which is late in terms of, like, when people usually do it. And yet, like, I became this spokesperson for sleep training somehow (laughs) and, like, talking about what the research actually says. But there are people who have PhDs in child development and psychology who still are not interpreting the research properly and are sticking to this one study that has since been, like, not disproved, but there's so many problems with this one tiny study that was done, like, you know, 10 years ago, but they will hold on to that. And like, that is the hill that they will die on because they too are so at that one side of parenting. And like, so people are always like, well, how can you say this when, you know, so-and-so who has a, also has a PhD says this? And it's like, I'm a neutral person. I am not like a diehard gentle parent. I'm not like a diehard this- I don't care i didn't sleep train my child and here i am telling you (laughs) that the research does not show any effects and the one or two studies that do are the most garbage studies and there's many issues with them so like i don't know what you want me to say i mean i think
0: that's part of the issue with the the research on parenting it's like you know, the research we have on, on sleep training and, you know, co-sleeping and all of these different options is actually, it's all like not that great of quality. And so it's like, you know, we, this is what the research says and we can say that, but it's, you know, and honestly, you can find research in that domain to back up either position because the research isn't great because you can't make, I can't get families and be like, you are assigned to co-sleeping, you are assigned to sleep training, And you are assigned to literally do nothing, you know? Like, how do you even do nothing? It's just not possible to really study it. And so I think, you know, we just have to make the best decision as parents. For our own situation. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I've thought a lot about why that issue is so triggering. And I think it's because... Either way. So, like, let's say you choose sleep training. Let's, for most parents, it's very hard to hear your child cry. I know it is for me. And let's say you choose not sleep training. It's very hard not to sleep for years. Both are hard. Both are really, really hard. So, you have to believe. It's like, again, like, it's like religion. You know, it's like you have to believe that is true. And if anybody doubts your belief, you get defensive because or it, does was so, something different. it was so hard to do that. And like, you know, I think they're shaming on both ends. Like I, I didn't sleep train and I I co-slept with my kids because I loved it. And I feel a lot of shame, parent shaming for that. And, you know, people are like, well, your baby's never going to learn how to self-soothe. And like now all three of my kids put themselves to bed on their own. And I never slept tra- sleep trained. So it's like, and then, you know, this if you sleep train, people are like, well, you're damaging your attachment relationship for the rest of their life, they're gonna be messed up. And it's like, there's no research that shows that, you know, we don't know. And and I think, you know, people also, you know, if if you are about to have a mental breakdown because you haven't slept in like months, like that's also not great for your kids. And I think people don't think about that. You know, there's so many factors that go into the decision to sleep train. It's like you, you have, uh, might have other kids that are, you know, suffering because you're tired all the time and you're screaming at them, you know? And it's like, you have to make the decision that's best for your family and best for you as a person and your child. And and nobody should question that because this is, there's so many factors that go into it.
1: I know, like we didn't sleep train. And I always say I didn't sleep train because I didn't have to. Like I had a 12 month maternity leave. I only had one child. My husband slept with the monitor at night and I slept in the basement. Like we had a system. I had so much support. I had the, the maternity leave. We didn't have to. And also like the crying like my anxiety was through the roof and I couldn't do it. Not because I thought it was bad for Milo. It was a me issue. And so that's what I always, like people have no empathy for what somebody else's situation might look like and might be. Like when I think about moms in the US or even like self-employed you know, women in Canada that don't have a maternity leave, it's like, oh my God, I can't even... Imagine yeah, how do you do
0: that without- how
1: do you how do you do that and function the next day to go to work? Like I could barely take care of Milo. so my husband started doing night shifts because he functions way better on little less sleep and he falls asleep so easily. So like at the end of the day, what works best for your family? you know with regard to breastfeeding, with regard to sleep training with regard to literally everything? and and you don't know you know the the mom could be
0: experiencing like crippling postpartum depression and you know sleep deprivation is a big cause of that and they maybe they don't want to talk maybe they don't want to say like you know i'm having thoughts of killing myself maybe they don't want to talk say that to a stranger and and it's not even your place to ask you know oh boy yeah i could like
1: yeah. <laughs> go on rants forever <laughs> I could <too>. um. Yeah. <laughs> So if people want to find you online, where can they find you? And do you have anything fun coming up? Like, what are your plans for the future?
0: So I'm at Parenting Translator on Instagram, www.parentingtranslator.com, where I have a blog if you're not a social media person. And I just got on TikTok at Parenting Translator on TikTok, which, like, I thought Instagram was the Wild West of people saying whatever they want.
1: I'm like, whoa. No, because you know what happens? Are you Parenting Translator on TikTok? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to follow you. What happens on TikTok is like they push your content out to like the universe. Like they, it's not just the people that follow you, which is, yeah, it's wild. It's wild out there. It's crazy.
0: But yeah, my plans for the future are just to continue putting getting the research to parents in any ways I can. And I'm trying to find, you know, TikTok is my newest venture. I'm hoping to have, you know, newsletters and more resources for parents and, and, you know, hoping to reach as many parents as I can to, to get them the research to help, you know, inform them, but not make the decision for them.
1: Yeah. Inform them and lessen everyone's shame about trying to be perfect. Yes.
0: Yes. Cause I think the research does that. The research says that like, there's a lot of different ways that work and,
1: and it really depends on your individual situation. Totally. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. This was great. Thank you. Yeah. That was so fun. Wow.
0: Are you looking for a podcast? That'll make you laugh. You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. <laughs>